All right. Hi, Ryan. Hello, Julie. How are you going? I'm great. I'm excited for another episode of Environmental Heroes. So good. So good. So much to talk about. Um, This one is, this one's a funny one. Um, And they're all funny and entertaining. (laughs) Good funny. (laughs) We're funny. We're funny. Um, But this one's great because it's, they're all great also, but this one because it's with a friend of mine. Yes. It's a very friendly chat, isn't it? It was done over Zoom uh, while we were in lockdown and I disappeared for a good 20 (laughs) minutes. So I don't know what you guys talked about on there, but uh, Uh, I think you can fill me in maybe. (laughs) I just dropped off. And so Sarah and I. I just had a cup of tea and kept going. Um, so I met Sarah it's, um, with this lovely lady, Sarah Reed, and I met her on the soccer pitch um, for our kids who are in the same soccer team a couple of years ago. And um, I didn't realise at the time, actually, like I thought when I first met her that she was always this um, I wanted to say rabbit, but that's not the quite the right description. Like just really enthusiastic. Enthusiasm definitely came through, Enthusi- even across the Zoom waves. Yeah, total enthusiastic. Um, <laughs> communicator, connector, facilitator, everything to do with the environment. Like she just, there was a point sometimes on a Saturday morning when I'd, I'd have to have an extra coffee to get ready to get out onto the soccer pitch because <laughs> I'm going to have another conversation with Sarah and it's going to yeah. be intense. It's great energy <laughs> and it's all being directed towards trying to solve climate yeah. change problems, which is exciting because she is, a, as you said, she's an everyday person doing her job who got really interested in joining boards and community groups. She became a part of the Australian Conservation Foundation, the Conservation Council ACT. And she just really talks a lot about how impactful it is to join groups, to do things together rather than trying to do things on your own, right? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that she is all about, and again, this is her enthusiasm, is just I know she just seems to be sucking up all of this knowledge. Like she's like, well, I'm reading this and I'm looking at this and then I see this and then I need to know this and then I go and look at this. And I'm like, oh. And she just does it with such excitement. It's like, well, I want to know this and now I'm going to know this and then I'm going to pass that on to someone else and and hand that on. And I just think it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's action-packed. This is an action-packed podcast. It is an (laughs) action-packed podcast. It is. And, um, yeah, I – I encourage everyone to listen to this with um, a big smile on their face because yeah. I think it's it's just it's joyful. Yeah, make a cup of tea, sit down with Julie and Sarah. Yeah, and Ryan pops in here and then when his internet <laughs> connection allowed him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, enjoy. Let's do it, Sarah Reed. Local environment heroes saving the trees and the bees and doing it. Daily. This is so exciting. We're talking to a friend of mine. Like I'd like to say that all the others are friends, but Sarah is definitely a friend because we hang out on the soccer pitch a lot <laughs> in winter. So Ryan, hi Ryan. Um, let's say hi to Sarah. Hello, Julie. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the Environmental Heroes podcast. Hi, Julie. Hi, Ryan. It's nice to be talking to you indoors and not out on the soccer pitch. It's so comfortable and warm. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Um, So uh, we're going to start off with our usual opening question, which is the big one. Has there been a defining moment in your life where you've looked at the world and thought something needs to change now? Such an interesting one because I remember hearing this when you spoke to others on the podcast and actually it's not so much a defining moment as a continuum really. Um, 
I think I was it's a, such a I feel like my story is a really really every man every woman story um which is you know you have kids and you sort of look at you've got that kind of new cycle going in the back of your head when you're kind of coming back into the world and they're sleeping you've got more time for things and it's harder and harder to listen to all the terrible news particularly about climate and you feel bad because you think oh what have I done I brought these kids into this world their future is so awful so you kind of bury your head further in the sand and then I couldn't bury my head in this one time I, I don't know one time I saw ACF Australian Conservation Foundation, um, I think it was ahead of the last election, said, hey, uh, come along, hear what we're planning to do, hear what our campaign is ahead of the next election. I thought, well, I can cope with that. Like, that's a manageable thing. I'm curious to know what the strategy is. Um, you know, that doesn't seem too awful. So I went along uh, and I was really surprised. I took part in a really simple little action and that was great and it gave me the feedback loop of, Actually, it's okay to do this. And then we did another one. And, you know, lo and behold, two years later, I'm completely immersed in the whole field. So, so it really was a continuum of going from being unable to deal with things to actually discovering that it's really empowering to engage with these really important issues and that there's real meaning and purpose from doing it. And that's just kind of continued and evolved from there. So tell us, how, how are you immersed in the issue now? What, what is it that Sarah is up to? Oh, my goodness. Um, yes. <laughs> Don't see my kids a whole lot, uh, which is probably, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're entirely delighted about that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so uh, my, my former roles, uh, I'm on the board of Australian Conservation Foundation. I'm uh, on the Governance Council as the ACT representative. And it's actually that that's probably that going on to ACF, council uh, was probably the kind of thing that triggered this all. Um, I remember because I'd done a couple of little activities with ACF, nothing particularly, but I'd liked them and started to learn a bit more about them. And they'd said something out saying, we're looking for people to come onto our council. You represent membership across the country. And they had quite a, it's an interesting one, they had quite a, a long set of criteria about what they were looking for absolutely none of which I met. So they were looking for people who, you know, had experience in the field and, you know, had worked with community organisations and you know, a whole range of different things. I thought, God, who is that person? I really would love to meet them. So I thought by applying for, you know, I've got a bit of chutzpah really, so by applying for this role that I was entirely unqualified for, um, I thought it would get me in to, to you know, I, I had no anticipate, no expectation of, of getting the role, but I would work out, I would understand the structure. I would work out that there was a branch nearby that I could go to meetings of or, you know, I could just get involved in that would get me involved. Anyway, lo and behold, no one else went for it. So I actually got the council, Stephen Bradbury style, got the council position. Um, and that was interesting too because I went along to, I mean, it was just the most wonderful opportunity. I got to meet councillors from all across the country. I got to meet the ACF staff and executive. I got to see insight into the strategy of the organisation how the organisation runs, what they do, the amazing things they do. Um, and by being on council, that made me think, oh, geez, I can't be on council and not lift my weight. They, they, ACF has sort of been transitioning to this community group structure to, to really push their advocacy out and onto the ground. Um, and so they have now, I think it's about 43 community groups around the country, but they didn't have one in Canberra. So I thought, well, I'm on the council. I kind of feel obligated um, in that capacity to try and start one up here. So I started up uh, with another fellow at the time, the ACF community group. Uh, and that's been great. Like that's really been the most meaningful, time-consuming, fantastic, purposeful thing I've ever done really, aside from having kids, I guess. So, um 
so I'm so I'm, uh, because I got very very engaged in the community group, and that's you know led to a whole range of really interesting opportunities. I then went for a position on the ACF board, and so I'm on the board, I'm on the council, I run the community group, uh, and I'm also on the board of the ACT Conservation Council. So so going onto ACF Council was a gateway role, really. <laughs> Can you tell us a little more, Sarah, about what exactly ACF does, what their focus is? Yeah, sure. So Strength Conservation Foundation is a national environment organisation. They do lots and lots of environmental advocacy. Uh, they do lots of policy. They've got, last I checked, there was, a, I think it's over 70 staff um, who have just got this most phenomenal expertise in a whole range of areas, ranging from biodiversity to clean energy exports to campaigning to organising. Um, they're really... Uh, uh, got great breadth in, in what they do um, and they have been in that space for a long time for a long time there's some when you get this wrong 50 to 70 years uh 50 years i think um and they do lots of advocacy behind the scenes they do lots of work with partnerships and with business and they talk to government um i think that my understanding is they've sort of got to a point where they've done all this great policy work and this fantastic advocacy, but really the change that we need to see needs to happen quickly and they just weren't able to really be making the change this in the speed at which change needs to be made. So, so they move more. I mean, they had, they had membership groups, but they moved to this different type of community advocacy model as well where they made that a really big part of what they do and that's so they have this fabulous infrastructure where they support these 43 community groups and, and rising around the country. So um, they'll develop national campaigns on issues and at the moment they've got the Renew campaign, which is, um, uh, should have that in front of me, shouldn't I? But looking at kind of renewable, a big push to have renewable investment coming out of sort of COVID and, and the economic crisis there, uh, protecting our nature laws. Um, you know, there is a big clean energy campaign at the moment and I guess so they've got great infrastructure they've got community organisers that provide really good support for all these community groups around the country. So uh, so the community groups around the country um, work with the organisation. We're all volunteers uh, and we try and implement the campaigns um, you know, at a local level. So, for instance, uh, we meet with all of our MPs and we try and reach out to all of our MPs. Um, and I think as of a few months ago, I think there have been 100 MP meetings around the country. And so we'll take those ACF asks to our MP meetings um, and they've, yeah, they've been really interesting to be part of, and that's a big part of the campaign. Uh, they really encourage people to have climate conversations, so they give us a whole series of resources to be able to go out and do those. Um, we do lots of social media engagement. Um, we and we all run. We all try. And with also, there's lots of autonomy. So you've got your national campaigns that ACF run, uh, but there's also things that we, as a group of people, would like to do that we think is meaningful at a local level. So you asked about what ACF does, and I've kind of. ACF does lots and lots of things and they have lots of arms, I guess, to do it through. I've got a question about climate communications. Like you were saying then that, you know, you, they give you instructions or you have these, like how to have these climate conversations. How do you talk to people who are maybe not as excited as what you are and not as passionate and enthusiastic and, you know, heading in the direction you want to go in. How do you start, like, do you start those conversations with people that maybe are a little bit harder to reach and how do you have those conversations? 
Oh, I just love this. I think this is such, I think people um, underestimate how important it is to have climate conversations, um, but also how important it is to have conversations that are unifying and not divisive. Obviously, it's a complicated environment um, for, for some of these things. Uh, and there's so many, I mean, there's so many great resources and there's so many good books in this space. I mean, Rebecca Huntley, to me, has written the absolute gold standard how to have climate conversations looking at ways of bringing people together and finding those points of commonality. And Catherine Hayhoe, I think, in the US has just um, has just written a book that looks really interesting as well. I find, I mean, it's one of those things that just the more you do, the more you do, um, and the more you find those points. And I reckon you can find a point of commonality with absolutely anybody, doesn't matter what their views are, because it's one of the things that people, People who come new to the group often, you know, are really tentative about having conversations because they're seen as difficult conversations. Um, people might be unsure of their own technical expertise. You know, I can't tell you about this or baseload or energy mixes. Um, but actually the secret has been that that doesn't matter. Like the key to climate conversations is an emotional one really. And in any conversation we have, it's about finding that point of commonality. And the weather, I mean, my God, we all talk about the weather. The weather is such a great spot to start. And it's really easy to get from, it's a bit unusual at the moment, it's a bit warm. Or, you know, like you can, you know, the weather is never straightforward. Um, I find more successfully you can have, I mean, kids are great. Kids are a great kind of conversation topic because you talk about their future and what you hope for them and the work that they'll do and the opportunities available for them um there's just it's the it's the art of the conversation as to where you go but there's so many different uh, angles that you could take there's also um it's always easy to talk about the positive and I think the really interesting thing about this space is how many positive benefits there are to climate action. So the jobs, the energy mix, the, the comparative advantage Australia has, the amount of sun we have, the fact we have solar panels, uh, those are easy angles for conversations. Um, and actually I find recycling is a really interesting one too. Everyone in Australia, we're just desperate to recycle properly and reuse resources and not have too much plastic. So it really, I think any conversation has an in and it doesn't matter how you start it. It's not hard to find the points where you agree. So what about if we make this even more hyperlocal and in Canberra, like how do we have these conversations that can, you know, Canberra is often, I guess the rest of the country looks at Canberra and it's this, it's such an interesting mix, right? Like we have, we're seen as quite progressive and um, forward thinking, um, yet we're also a number of us are constrained because a number of people in Canberra work in the public service um, and they feel constrained. So how do we how do we get how are you getting public servants involved in this issue and you know, how can we reconcile perhaps their interests and direct action focus with yeah. what they're doing in their day job? It's a really it's a really interesting one in Canberra because I mean private conversations are one thing like you can have a private conversation with anyone about anything, um, but I guess that's right. You have a successful conversation and then you say, well, what's your next step? How do, how do you kind of take that to action? Um, and it's certainly one of the issues um, I've sort of talked about this before that we're very alive to in our group. Uh, you know, with, with forty three groups that are around the country, no two groups will be the same. And one very very unique feature of us in Canberra is we do have lots of Commonwealth public servants. Uh, and there's a code of conduct that applies to public servants and also um, there's a rightful expectation of um, non-partisanship. Um, and I guess I encourage your people to join ACF Community Canberra. Uh, so ACF itself is a non-partisan organisation. I mean, the, the, the principle behind um, environmental act, uh, advocacy for ACF is we want it to be a race to the top. 
We want all parties to get on board for the best policies for our climate and we want them to be arguing about who's is better. So um, so we really don't care what party you are. We're completely apolitical in that respect. We just want good climate policy and action for our future. Um, and certainly when, you know, it's something that public servants are very conscious of uh, and so when people come to join our group in Canberra, well, one of the first questions will be what do you do um, if you work for Commonwealth Public Service? You've just got to be really conscious and, and there are rules that apply to how you um there are quite clear rules um, as to how you uh, you operate in an advocacy environment. Um, so the, the, the code of conduct for Commonwealth public servants is very clear about um, your rights to operate as a citizen. So we all we are all citizens in a democratic society. Uh, so it's very clear that if you want to go out and hand out brochures on election day at a polling booth for whatever party you want, like there's no prohibition against that. That is absolutely your right. Um, I guess where it becomes greyer is. Uh, depending on the area you're in. So when you're in a, if your portfolio um, speaks directly to the issues that we're advocating on, well, I mean, that's something that you wouldn't talk publicly about. Uh, you wouldn't speak against your department. Um, and there's kind of rules about how you do that. So the great thing about the environmental advocacy space is there's so many interesting and exciting things to do um, that really you just, you don't do the ones that are going to cause problems, you know, for your role. Um, but no one's stopping you from planting a tree or from engaging in different ways. Or so, there's, so there's lots and lots of different avenues to participate in and to channel um, kind of climate activism in that, you know, doesn't cause a problem for, for any forms of employment. So, Sarah, um, you've got a really strong sense of community, like a really strong sense of community. Um, where has this come from? Like why is community, the, you know, something that really lights up your face? So it's a very good question. Um, and you know what? I don't think I could have answered that until fairly recently because I'm not sure that I always, maybe philosophically, yes, um, but certainly not by my actions. Uh, so, yeah, I've just become so immersed in this whole space that um I mean, I guess there's sort of one part of me that thinks, well, the more you do, the more you do. And, you know, like I've gotten so, like to me it's just seemed like such important work to do and it's been so valuable and I've really appreciated so many things about it that, of course, you do more. And I've also got a very forgiving family. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we, interestingly, we had a, an ACF retreat for kind of sort of the coordinators of the various groups uh, a few months ago. Um, and in the course of discussions there, there was some talk about what are your motivations? And I, I don't know that I'm deeply philosophical myself, so possibly hadn't given it too much thought. But it did kind of force me to think about, you know, what, what, what does motivate me, what is important? And it's sort of in the course of discussion, I, I come from a Jewish background. It's a secular background. Um, but I guess I think it, I think I have an innate sense of justice and fairness and it just strikes me that things are really unfair in the way they are and community action can make things fair. It's a really good way to make things just um, and there's a real kind of sense of equality in doing that. And even that, it was, I was kind of surprised that I got to that point. And one of the conveners um, was an American fellow who's sort of done lots of work in the community space and he looked at me and said, all of my Jewish friends say that. And it was just really interesting. I just it never occurred to me that that was even a big part of my psyche, or that was a thing. So, um, so maybe maybe culturally that that's important. Um, but I guess it's also just why would you not be? <laughs> 
So related to that, um, you are a prolific share of content on Twitter <laughs> and LinkedIn. A kind way of putting it. <laughs> if I need to know what's going on, I just quickly go and search out Sarah and you can see what is happening. And and I feel maybe this is what you see as your role in the community, like to continually disseminate this information. Like tell me about the importance or significance of you know, you're constantly forwarding things to people and constantly liking and sharing. I, I really like that part of it. So there's kind of two parts of that that I think are really important. Um, one, I love to learn. There's so much great new information out there and I know that it's been great for me to know this stuff and I think there's lots of other people who are really interested in, in learning more about all the wonderful things that are happening, particularly when it's good news. It's so great to share good news. It goes against the grain of what we normally receive. Um and also I think connections are so important. I mean, I think if there was one thing that I really see in my role as, as, as the, the contribution I can make is making connections between people, that I know this person's going to be interested in this thing and I know this person's idea would be great if it was happening over here. So I, I see, and, and that's, I guess, relationships are kind of sort of the pivot on which a lot of community is going to turn. So I, I think I see that as part of that that larger framework of drawing connections between people and sort of facilitating opportunities. I mean, I'm just a, I'm a schmo, like I'm an every person without any particular skills, but I know there's so many people out there who have these great creativity and great ideas and great skills um, and it's really about facilitating the opportunities for them to be able to kind of take those things and make them happen. But, see, that is your skill. Like that's <laughs> like for you to say you have no skill is totally wrong. Like that's that's your skill. Like that and you know, we need people like you who are able to, because a lot of people get stuck in their silos and in their, what it is they're doing and they're great and they're experts in their field and that's really important. But then we need the people like you who go, well, hang on, I've seen that happen over there or that's happening over there. You two should get together or I'll share this and that person will like it. Like, I think that's really, really valuable. I've always seen that as that, I've always seen that as my role. And it sounds so like it's not nothing you'd ever put on a resume, is it? But actually the most important thing I can do is I take this person's hand and this person's hand and join them together I, because, yeah, people don't do that. Someone once said to me, um, you know, she said, uh, with my brain and his writing and your mouth, we'd be an amazing person. <laughs> I like that idea, the Frankenstein. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to stop you for just a second because I think your dog wants to oh, yeah, go thank out. Thank you. <laughs> yes. We could do this all day long. She's in and out and in and out. They're all outside. Lily and Colin are outside collecting eggs from the chickens, so she wants to be part of it. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, actually, onto the chickens and the garden. We did have a question for you that you're a very enthusiastic gardener um, and are particularly excited about the benefits of composting and healthy soil. And I know also from our discussions on the soccer pitch that you developed recently a fascination with mushrooms and. <laughs> so maybe tell us about tell us about the importance of soil oh my gosh I just isn't it funny I like I've, I do love spending time in the garden um but I just feel like when you grow fruit and veggies it's just kind of a bonus like the soil is the fun bit and what's been really interesting now is there's that whole field of laypersons literature about soil so I'm just reading Matthew Evans book that's come out at the moment about soil um compost and soil like again you think about all the wicked problems that we have in the world around us actually they're really easy answers so we talk about waste we shouldn't be throwing food out food is is 
treasure. It's gold in the soil. Um, you know, we've lost all that topsoil. Well, let's compost properly and bring it back. Um, there's so much life and there's so much knowledge and there's so much that we don't know about it that we've still got to learn. So, I mean, I just find, you know, and it's got so many great qualities, you, you know, food with soil, well, with good soil and it's good for your guts. It's, you know, I think soil's meant to have antidepressant qualities. Like it's just, it's all good. There is no downside of soil. Um, and I just love this idea. It's the ultimate recycling that you take someone's food scraps and in it, this perfect cycle of life that you can make soil to grow great food in so um i'm eminently eminently obsessed with it and i could play in the compost all day long much to my dog's delight and children's displeasure <laughs> um my mother but, but as we know good compost doesn't smell well good compost doesn't smell mine is not always good compost as the <laughs> family will attest to but uh, but i certainly do love a bit of smelly compost and a smelly child. Hello, smelly child. Okay. You want to be on the podcast too? <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Um, today, Sorry, Julie. <laughs> today we've got seven eggs. Oh, my gosh. Lily just came to tell me we have seven eggs. <gasps> is that is that a, an unusual number? Well, we only have one chicken. No, no, no. We oh. have seven chickens. <laughs> She's been very busy. Wow. <laughs> Good job. Good job. We have good soil. The chickens make good soil. <laughs> yeah, um, my yeah. mushroom experiment was a bit short-lived, but again, that's how I've been doing. I've got lots of mushroom books to read, so yeah. that might be the next frontier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only so many frontiers you can. Oh, I know, I know, exactly right. <laughs> um, <laughs> soil secret to all success. And again, I mean, that's you know, there's such great work in Canberra happening with composting. You know, we've got Brooke Clinton's um, Capital Scraps. She's her knowledge as a soil scientist is phenomenal um, yeah. you know the whole fogo program the act government's talking about um if i could give a plug everyone should home compost and if you don't give it to brooke and if that's too hard get onto share waste and give it to your neighbors just yeah. key to success compost led recovery own. that should be our economic mantra for act we are on a compost led recovery <laughs> uh, yeah we've um so in case our listeners don't know there is a podcast that we've done with brooke up on the um website which is well worth listening to she is a wealth a wealth of composting There's knowledge nothing brooke does not know about soil and compost exactly exactly now I have a, another question. Like, so you, you know, you obviously you're reading a lot, and you're very, you've got all these ideas, and you're connecting people, and you've got the community group. But then my question is, you're sitting, you're sitting on two boards, and you know, I, I'm interested in this idea that sitting on, like, being on a board for you is an avenue for change. Talk to us about you know all the different avenues for change that you could have gone down. Why, why choose the board route? That's a very good question. That's a really, really, really good question. Um, I guess, you know, part of that kind of idea of all action is good action. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you do something. Um, and there are so many opportunities for change. And I think boards, there is so much great work going on in environmental organisations, both ACF and ACT Cons Council, doing just absolutely fantastic local initiatives um and boards are you know in terms of governance there's always um in it is hard to get people to uh, hop onto boards for non-profits. I think there's no money in it. You've got to be prepared to share the time. Um, sometimes it is, you know, sometimes it, you don't get that kind of feedback loop that you do from digging compost through the soil. Uh, you know, you're dealing with kind of finances and strategic decisions and it's not um, 
you know, it's not quite as fun sometimes as some of those more traditional things, but it really feels like a very valuable contribution because you're part of that supporting infrastructure that allows all this great work to happen and you need to have people in these roles and you need those governance structures to make sure things don't go wrong. Like you need to ensure that finances are fine, people have the support that they need, that the connections that are being, and again, it probably comes down to connections as well. Um, It's a real privilege sitting on boards, I find, even though it's not always easy to find people to do it because it gives you this phenomenal insight into how an organisation operates and actually what makes an organisation successful too. So the insight that I've been able to have into how ACF runs its campaigns and thinks about its future and operates strategically, I mean, you can't pay for access to that kind of information. So um, so it's it certainly, you know, and I come with a, a set of skills that are hopefully useful for boards um, and I feel like I've certainly gotten a lot more out of it than I've put in. So uh, it's an important pathway. It's definitely not the only one, um, but, yes, I, I, I think it's if you get the opportunity to, to sit on a governance um, position of an organisation, uh, there's so much to be gained from that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, one last question before we move on to the hero round. <laughs> to me, you always seem so enthusiastic and very upbeat, like very like you know there's lots of challenges, but you just, you know, if you go back to the soil analogy, I feel you just want to get out there with a shovel and start digging straight away. Like you're just really <laughs> ready to go. How do you manage that though with <clears throat> two kids bringing into the world, like you've got two kids in the world knowing the knowing what you know and, you know, slightly concerned about Mm -hmm. the future. How do you manage to stay upbeat and enthusiastic? Um, It's been a journey. (laughs) There's a few features in there. I mean, uh, big shout-out to my husband, a very, very, very supportive husband um, who really has allowed me to do, you know, to actually spend the time to do these things, which when you're kind of more involved in the day-to-day of just getting kids fed and washed and, you know, maintained, um, there's really little chance to do that. So so, so that's been phenomenal. Um, what I've helped, yeah, I mean, you know, you do go through this, I guess there's a bit of a cycle of grief in some ways, isn't there? Because the issues that we're facing are, you know, potentially catastrophic and existential. Um, they're extremely serious. They're the most serious things that we have to think about. Um, you know, you think about as a parent, your number one, like your whole reason for being is to keep these children alive and flourishing. And here's something that actually is probably, you know, I can spend all this effort getting them fed and slept and, you know, and I can't do anything about this over here. So um, I did go through a bit of a you know, I guess you have to confront these things radically. Um, and I guess a lot of the literature around climate conversations and, and talks and climate grief talks about this. You have to kind of sometimes you have to expose yourself to the worst to then be able to move from there. So I think there's a certain acceptance you have to make. We don't know what the future holds. Um, we know that there's some very serious things that we're facing but we also don't know what the future holds. Like in uncertainty, there is opportunity as well too. So I guess having thought about seriously engaging with what the genuine risks are and having spent some time, I guess, grieving a little bit of those, some of those possibilities has allowed me to think, okay, I've done that. That's bad, but it's not inevitable. What is it I can do? Like I feel my number one obligation, you know, aside from, you know, okay, if I'm going to worry about what veggies I'm going to get into the kids, I better worry about looking them in the eye saying this is what I did because I think this was the best thing to do for your future. And that makes me feel good. 
And again, that enthusiasm is real and it's because the more that you do engage in this space and the more you read and the more you talk to people, oh, my God, it's such a great space. Like when you're just looking at the news, that's the news for you. It's it's exception reporting. It's all the really bad stuff. You know, it's not the, you know, Sarah went home today and had a really great day and a nice conversation with her kids. Um, so there's great stuff happening. There's people are clever. People are so innovative. It doesn't matter what your background is. People are fund- we're fundamentally a resourceful lot. Um, and sometimes that's our undoing, but also I think that's our making. And so I guess the more you're exposed to this space, the more good news you see, um, the more opportunities are really clear. And I guess it's a great pathway. Like if we really get together and we kind of act on this, got some great possibilities ahead of us so i think that's what enthuses me is those great potential and it doesn't take much i mean i love that erica chenoweth thesis about it only takes three and a half percent of a population to make change three and a half percent is a nothing number in canberra it's a really nothing number so if three and a half percent of us just do join a group or you know be part of something or commit to talking to mps to advocate for this change we will see that change it's completely in our hands and i think this kind of engagement that i've had has been very empowering um so how do you not be enthusiastic like it's such a clear pathway <laughs> that's awesome i love that totally you've you've enthused me on what Yay! was a very a very slow and sad thursday morning all right so we're going to get on to the hero questions all right, so so we do have one last question that we were just toying with asking why we had a short intermission and got Ryan back on. Um, I, like as I'm sure regular listeners have heard me say a few times, I, I often feel a bit of a fraud and a bit of an interloper in this space because I feel I'm late, late to the party and turned up and maybe didn't bring any beer. Like, <laughs> like hey, I want to jump on board this train because it seems cool. Um, whereas people like Ryan and others, you know, hardcore, um, interested and aware from a much earlier age. Is that fair to say, Ryan? I guess so. <laughs> Being very modest, very modest. Um, so Sarah, um, and Sarah and I are looking at each other with, like we're mums, we've got kids in primary school, high school, and um, Sarah like did say earlier on that it was about 2018 that Sarah really went, there's something I want to do here. So that's kind of later in life, right? Sarah, how do we like, you know, what do you feel? One, what do you feel about that? And two, it's never too late to start, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I really connect with that um, at all sorts of levels. Uh, And, you know, I look at young people today and I'm just so profoundly impressed like how did they know at such an early age that this is such a cool and important thing to do like I was so dumb when I was younger if I'd have known then what I know now yeah I would have gotten engaged with this stuff heaps earlier because it's great um but I had no idea I was far too selfish and living in my own world so I really hats off to to um to you know people who who from such an early age show this kind of great enthusiasm and passion for for the most important issues you can engage with. Um, I feel really lucky to have gotten on board now and certainly, yeah, I do um, feel my age. But I guess what's real and, you know, it's same, there's people who have lifetimes of experience which, I mean, I've been involved in this space for a couple of years, three years maybe, uh, so I've just got so much to learn. I don't have that kind of depth of, of, of specialisation. But actually that what I've come to see is that's really great. Like it's really great. It doesn't matter when you join as long as you join. You can be six you can be 15, you can be 110, like everyone's got something to bring. And, and the strength of the movement 
is solely in numbers. Like it really doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter if you can't speak the language, none of these things matter. Um, the depth, the, the strength is in diversity um, and engagement. So uh, I feel lucky that this is the time in life that I've been able to really get on board and spend lots of time on it. Um, I guess, yeah, if I'd have known, I'd definitely gotten on board earlier. Um, but no, every time is the right time. I mean, I, I, I take my hat off, actually, to I see younger women who really get engaged through Australian Parents for Climate Action, and I really take my hats off to them too because that time of life when your kids are young and you're exhausted and you're busy, I just don't know how they have the mental, um, you know, facility and, and the space to, to get on board. But get on board, they do. So, I mean, you know, kudos in, in that in that space to do that. Um, but, yeah, look, no time is a bad time. Uh, no time is too early. When's the best time to get on board? Ten years ago is the next best time now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would agree yeah, with that. Awesome. Maybe, maybe one thing in our defence <laughs> is <laughs> one thing in our defence is that um, maybe the issue now is just so you know, it's being covered so much more and it is in the news and everyone mm. is more aware than what we were growing up. And so as a young person, you actually know about this because it is being taught and spoken about so much more and that's a positive. Yes. Maybe. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. I have no idea. I don't even like nature. I mean, you know, <laughs> but I think I remember once saying, I, you know, I am fighting for my kids' rights to not like nature and it not mattering. <laughs> Now I love it. You know, get me out in there. I want to look at bugs and bees and flowers and it gives me immense amounts of joy. Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> but right. Tried. Absolutely. Let's, yes, let's hit the hero here. questions. All right. Yes. Sorry, questions. we've just been ignoring. We, we, just to make it clear, we haven't been ignoring Ryan this whole podcast. He did He did drop off, He's unfortunately. Right. <laughs> yeah. We I thought am, we'd back. just have a chat between ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. All right, so congratulations, Sarah. You've just been elected the president of the world. What is the change that you tried Finally. to implement first? <laughs> um, so I have given uh, immense amounts of thought to these questions and I, I, I've shopped them around to committee. Um, I like my daughter's answer. She said, build a new school and stop Adani in that order. So nice. Um, but so it's an interesting one, isn't it? So um you know, there's the kind of the, the pat answer of being environmental advocacy, which is urgency demands that there's no new fossil fuel investments and we transition quickly to renewables. So, of course, that's what we should be doing. But actually thinking about this in a bit more depth, um, I think the two things I've discovered, you wanted a short answer, didn't you? I'm not giving you a short answer. <laughs> the two things I've discovered in the course of this journey is, one, there are lots of problems to fix, but, two, there's lots of people to fix these things. So I think... May I mean, you think about it, there's, you know, there's a biodiversity crisis, there's fossil fuels, there's the need for communities to adapt to climate change, there's the need to deal with waste. I mean, it's, you know, as long as you're around. Um, but, you know, we've got so many people that have solutions for these things already and there's ways of doing them. And the thing that's kind of stopping is I think it all comes down to community action. So really these changes will come when people demand them and work together to bring them about. So maybe my first act should be bringing about the means to elevate community action. Um, although I would say the downside with that is there's no catchy catchphrase, you know, like you can say stop fossil fuels now, but let's all get together and work as a community. It just doesn't, you know, it doesn't hit the mark, does it? But I think that's the answer. What's the kind of phrase about give a man a fish and he'll have one meal and give him a fishing rod? Anyway, sorry for butchering that one, but but I think that's what I mean. Give people the tools of engagement and the means to come together and everything's possible. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Mm. Um, 
It's 2030. Describe the world you see around you. Tricky. <laughs> it's a tricky one. It shouldn't be tricky, but it is. Um, and I think I think this the, the, the difficult thing about this question is that at the core of the challenge that the environmental movement faces is we're not kind of designed to really look that far beyond what's in front of us. It's really hard to imagine what is the future. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I love the documentary 2040 that talks about, you know, what all the really positive climate solutions are that are around now and how great the world could look when it's 2040. Um, and then you've got, you know, Kim Stanley Robinson's book, The Ministry for the Future, and that's a really interesting. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's an issue. I know, Julie, for, for, for those listening, Julie kind of made a, um, how do you describe that gesture? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god up. it just gave me nightmares like it gave me nightmares as a diversion so we, one of the things that we've done um on an ad hoc basis with the community group is do a book club for kind of climate related books and, and that was one of the books that was the last book we did and i really held my breath going into it because you know i thought it's it's a very very dire start to the book and the themes when someone says climate fiction and future you kind of do gird your lines a bit and steal yourself for the worst. But actually I was, I love the book to my surprise and was surprised at how positive, there was so much that I took from that. I thought, God, why can't it be like that? Like, that's great. That's a great outcome. Those are really positive things to do. I mean, it's not a straightforward expose into a utopian future, but it's got lots of really good stuff in there that we could be exploring. Um, so, you know, and, and the other, I think one of the really, one thing that's always stuck with me is, um, uh, I didn't understand all of that, but I did love um, uh, uh, Nassim Taleb's Black Swan. Black Swan is a great book. Uh, and the kind of thesis coming out of that is, we, you know, when we look back in time, we kind of draw this narrative thread that's a bit inaccurate because actually we've got no idea what lies in front of us. All we know is uncertain things are going to happen. We just don't know what those things are going to be. And I really like that principle of uncertainty. So it's not necessarily going to be all bad and it's not necessarily going to be all good. We just know it's going to be different. And I think in there lies promise. There's opportunity to, to you know, to, to, to do the things that make more of the kind of really positive stuff happen. Um, and then thinking more about this question, and this question a lot of thought, I thought, well, how do I make 2030 real to me? Because it's a number and I'm not sure what it means. It's very hard to get out of your day to day. And I thought, well, I'll be close to 60, going back to your question about coming to the movement at a later age, um, and my children be young adults, which I think is even more difficult to imagine. Um, and so what does, what does that mean for, the, for, for me and for them and what will that world be like for a 60-year-old and for young adults? Um, and I think... Drawing on kind of on the black swan principles, I don't know. Like we know there are some things that are baked in, don't we? We know it's going to be hotter. We know that there's going to be difficult things that we're going to have to face. And I guess there's a range of possibilities on offer. I mean, there's the, dispo the dystopian model of unabated carbon emissions and authoritarian regimes and, you know, vulnerable and desperate populations and huge security issues. Um, so that's pretty catastrophic but I mean that's really you know if we do nothing maybe that's what we're facing but actually we don't have to do that like the utopian vision is much nicer you know there's loads of climate solutions that we know about there's great things we can do we know about them now I mean we can work for a genuinely bright future for you know for my young adults as they will be then and you know for the world that they're in um, and I don't think anyone wants that really dark vision so I think there's you know we've got the momentum to do the things that we need to do to pull away from that so what will the world look like in 2030 I don't know maybe a little bit of column a a little bit of column v um, the market's changing so quickly isn't it like every time you open turn your computer on there's new technology 
podcast technology changes by the day, I think. Um, you know, the energy shift is happening like this, isn't it? The political conversation is changing in front of our eyes at the moment. Um, the pressures that encourage people to disengage, yeah, they're there. They're probably going to only get stronger. So, um, so I don't know. I guess it's it's sort of up to us what it's going to look like. <laughs> Join your community group, people. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go for the utopian and not dystopian vision. <laughs> yeah, good time to start thinking about the future and caring about the future, I'd say. Like you say, it's never too late and now oh. is a very good time. Oh, what a time. Oh, my goodness. What a yeah. time, really. What a great time to be thinking about these things. Well, um, who are your environmental heroes, Sarah? You are. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> got, this is another great thing about this phase I mean, everyone's an environmental hero. I mean, you guys are amazing. I love what you do. I love what you both do. Um, I love the person in our group who manages a young family, a job, and she's enthusiastic to get behind every initiative. I mean, what about the person in our group who's project managing the campaign to encourage people to engage with their natural surrounds? Go out to Monst- We've got an event at Mount Stromlo soon. And we've got people talking about habitats and, and species there. Um, we've got a person in our group recently retired who started Diplomats for Climate Action Now. I mean, it's amazing that, they're, they're, you know, the conversations that have come from that group in, in a really short space of time. Um, we've got the young woman that really wants to, to you know, encourage us to engage and, and be more inclusive for First Nations people. And she's really driven um, an event we've coming up next Tuesday uh, on First Nations environmental justice. Um, every person you've interviewed on your podcast, Greta, Joe Biden, Terry Hughes with his advocacy for the Great Barrier Reef. I mean, I think that's the beauty of this movement is that everyone's a hero. Anyone who turns up to speak for the environment is heroic in their own way. So it's a profoundly democratic movement and we're all heroes. We can be heroes <laughs> just for one day or maybe longer ideally. <laughs> I love that answer. I love that we were first, but then I love the rest of the answer. <laughs> Um, what's your hot tip for being more environmentally friendly uh okay i'll let you join a group (laughs) it really it doesn't matter which one um there are you know as you will know from the people that you've interviewed there are so many doing such fantastic work uh you'll meet lovely people you'll learn loads, you'll feel happier, you'll be supported and you'll make a difference. Um, And, you know, the sum is greater than its parts. So as a wise man named Ryan once said to a group I was part of, you're better to have a lot of people doing a little than a few people doing a lot. There you go. Um, (laughs) You've always stuck with me, Ryan. That's always stuck with me. And other people who heard you talk Um, I've heard people say it back to me as well. That's just such an inspirational phrase. Like you are better. There's no point killing yourself. It's great to have lots of people just doing a little thing. It's so powerful. I really, that's the mantra to have. For those of you who can't, no one can see this, Ryan's blushing a little bit at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not the menopause for you. I'm just projecting, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm humbled. That's a very kind thing to say. Thank you, Sarah. Well, we were going to ask you what your final key message would be that you'd like to leave our listeners with. Okay, so I feel like I've just answered that one. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to leave your um, your kind listeners who've had the patience to hang on to the end here. Um, I really encourage you to reach out to ACF Community Canberra. You know, you can find us online. Um, as I imagine there might be links to the podcast. Uh, you will meet lovely people and you'll find yourself doing wonderful things. Um, like the uncertainty principle in Black Swan, who knows what those things will be, but they will be great. Local environment heroes saving the trees and the bees and
and doing it daily.